Welcome to another episode of One Million Experiments. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And we're doing it. One Million Experiments is a podcast showcasing and exploring how we define and create safety in a world without police and prisons. And we are back with co-hosts. Doesn't feel like it It really does it justice. We're back with super homie and collaborator, friend, partner in this work. Our, our lab partner here, Eva, <laughs> is back in the building with us. What's up, Eva? Howdy, partners. Nice to be back <laughs> in the lab with you. I like this lab partner thing you just did. There, yeah. That's, that's yeah, strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Strong. That, that was organic, too. That was some, some organic chemistry right there. And we've alluded to the fact of how much we both like faked and cheated our way through science. The lab partner relationship was not a subject to subject fair <laughs> relationship in my life. So I'm excited to model for myself what a more equitable lab partner relationship could be here, Eva. Um, so in that spirit, uh, one, how you feeling today? And two, who are we talking to on this episode? Y'all, I'm, I'm a little bit tired today. I'm coming off a very cool conference and convening. Abolition is feminism. Feminism is abolition. That interrupting criminalization did out in California, where I got to meet with so many of the people that we talk about in this, in this podcast and that we work with in One Million Experiments. But that being said, I am still so excited to talk with Detroit Safety Team and, and dig in once again in this sixth episode of the series. I just want to name how excited and equally jealous I am to hear that there was one abolitionist conference and it was in California. Like this is, <laughs> these are my two passions happening at the being in California. <laughs> da- uh, California is Damon's imagined future. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. Uh, so what do we need to know about Detroit safety team before we hop in? The Detroit safety team has been on the 1 million experiments list since the beginning. It was something that was born out of a movement building space um, and has really you know, gone from seed to something really remarkable in these last couple of years in Detroit. The Detroit safety team is a Detroit-focused organization dedicated to assisting communities in building a new safety infrastructure that shifts away from police reliance. Um, the team does this through citywide training sessions and neighborhood fellowship programs that skill people up in holistic and humane safety methods and tools. Um, there's kind of three prongs to the work that DST does. It's safety training, community building, and restorative processes. You can go to redefinesafety.org if you're in Detroit to request a service. And you can also look up when the next citywide training cohort is. If you're interested in skilling up in nonviolent restorative practices, de-escalation, mediation, pod mapping, Detroit safety team really has it all. Yeah, and we get into, you know, a little bit to how those programs work, but I think this conversation is kind of more on the the macro level about what does this idea of safety even mean? If we're redefining it, what are we redefining it toward? Um, what have they learned in process that's changed their definitions of it? And what does it mean to do this work? And then how does it fit into like larger scale advocacy across the city? Um, so the balance of these like very local block by block efforts with, you know, policy and political work um, and the potential and frustrations and challenges of doing both um, yeah, Dame, anything else that you want people to know before we hop in? Yeah, I'm 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 really excited for folks to hear and for us to process a little bit the 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 contradictions of engaging the state in these efforts. 
And so you will hear about a really interesting structural opportunity and moment in Detroit and the ways in which established power works to suppress and subvert democratic efforts. And I, th- I think really feeling some of the impact of that was, was important learnings for me. So excited to get into it. All right. I think the experiment is prepped. Let's hop into the lab with the Detroit safety team. We are back. We are here with, you know, some informal cousins. We the, the Chicago to Detroit connection is in full effect. And we are really excited to be talking to the Detroit safety team. As always, we have a two-part question that we'd like to kick off our conversation with that, you know, warm us up and, and get us going and flow. And that question is rooted in time. So define time however you will. That could be this hour. This day, this season, this lifetime, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Okay. Jump into it. Let's swim. I want to start off saying like time is like this really weird thing for me. I'm very time disconnected. I'm like late for things and lose track of time. <laughs> there was there was uh, an all-knowing nod from a collaborator over there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we worked together for a long time. So I think like especially with this pandemic, time is also really weird. I feel like I'll be like, yeah, that was like last month. It's like that was two years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think currently the world is teaching me a lot of lessons around reconnecting to myself and reconnecting to family, um, whether that be like blood or chosen. That feels mostly really good and sometimes really frustrating because, you know, sometimes when we're like healing and discovering ourselves, we're like, I thought I did this already. Some of these lessons are like relearning. And I'm like, okay, don't get frustrated. You need like there's something deeper in this lesson that you're learning. And how am I treating the world? The first thing that popped up is over the summer, there was this really big flood here in Detroit. Um, and my car was in about four feet of water. And so both of my trash cans floated away somewhere. And so currently I don't have a recycling bin. I've been like yelling at people at the city of Detroit to bring me a recycling bin. Because I would like to treat the world better and recycle. Um, (laughs) um, But really recently, I went out to take a walk and admired some nature and admired some Detroit and took some photos. And so I feel like when I think about how I'm treating, like really specifically Detroit and nature, admiring, being in like awe of its beauty. John, what about you? It's a big question in a lot of ways, right? So so the conundrum that I'm having is just around what measurement of time. You know, it's like tax season, like it is for everybody and everybody's doing their taxes. Not everybody. As a small business owner, because I, I have a small business in my in my non-activist work life, uh, though, is there a non-activist work life? I guess is another conversation. Um, I'm doing taxes and I'm sitting here going, well, what happened in, in what year is this? How are we in 2022 already? So like this whole concept of like, how am I being treated in this moment? It's if I consider the more like wide angle lens, 50,000 foot view, the past two years have been crazy. Been a lot of up and downs. I've lost a few friends. I think there's um, 
an expectation sometimes that when you do this type of work, that you are always uh, ready and willing and able to like help other people hold their trauma and help other people like process their grief. The time isn't always built in for you to do the same thing. You know, like right before we hopped on, a friend of mine texted me about a memorial service for a good friend of ours and like trying to balance like all those things in life. So I'm mad to some extent as to how the world has treated me over these past couple of years. I also, when I shrink the world down from like the global to like my immediate circle, I have zero things to complain about because I'm, I'm blessed to have a wonderful fiance, wonderful family, great group of friends. Curtis and I, in addition to like working together, are also very close as just as friends. And so that support is there and is really important. If I stop and just look at what is right now in this moment, then the world is treating me pretty well in the today. It's what I think about yesterday and last year that I start to get frustrated. How am I treating the world? You know, I hope the world is okay with me. Like, I, I hope, like full transparency. I got asked in a meeting earlier if I could say please more often. <laughs> um, and so I was like, maybe I'm not treating the world well, but I think it's also important to remember that those small moments, like how you treat the world, I think is reflected by how you treat people in those like small everyday moments. If I'm not leading with gratitude and I needed to clearly be reminded of that, then that's something that I got to like check you with myself about. And like, how is that reflective of how I'm treating everybody else? Yeah. I appreciate that. Just hearing like that honest discontent with just how absurd and disorienting, you know, these last few years and months have been for all of us. But then also I, I appreciate that like notion of internal accountability and like, you know, the macro social structures we are ideating towards like require micro transformations in human relationships. So just that is a grounding. It's really exciting. And I want to stay in that place of excitement because we are here in Chicago sharing some of our official unofficial love affair with Detroit <laughs> as as family members and like you know kindred cousins and you know just to ground us a little bit like our show is ideologically rooted and in the lineage a legacy of the bog so uh Jimmy and, and Grace are are really important to our thinking and a lot of the work we've been able to do on and off mic and you know mentors of our work are from Detroit so I've always felt like very connected personally but then Detroit as a as a metropolitan landscape of what social transformation, divestment, recreation, you know, revolution, honestly, looks like. It, it has been one of the most important places in the world. So really excited to get into y'all's work. And the way we're going to do that is through a loosely, poorly formed metaphor. So, <laughs> so we are here talking about experiments in the the language of experimentation. So as two folks that like kind of cheated or slacked our way through high school science, like we always find ourselves over our head and like we invite our compatriots to like fumble through this metaphor with us. But we're going to start off with that of the hypothesis of the work. Like I, I even hate using this term. It's kind of too activisty, but like the theory of change that informed your ideals or your projections or your visions that started this work of the Detroit safety team. I tell you my hypothesis. I would say I have a long background in like nonviolence and reconciliation and like that sort of thing. And so I feel like I stand on the backs of like a lot of work that has shaped me. I want to lift up ancestor um, Brian Scott, who started the Coalition Against Police Brutality here 
in Detroit and him and my father are really close friends. And I said in those meetings as like a high schooler, sometimes rolling my eyes, but kind of like fast forwarding to some of the first thoughts of Detroit safety team. We were like birthed out of the Allied Media Conference. For folks that aren't familiar with the Allied Media Conference, this is a really wonderful, spectacular, like outer space weekend (laughs) that happens in Detroit. (laughs) And it brings together activists and media makers and they get to co-create with each other for a whole weekend. One year I was working at the Detroit Area Restorative Justice Center with Joe Bawachi and we were asked to support with safety. And we were like doing this work in over like three years. I think some of the questions that happened over that three years were like, hey, initially the safety team were like a bunch of folks that were not from the city. And also like the acknowledgement that although we love the Ally Media Conference, a lot of Detroiters put a lot of energy into that conference. And a lot of that energy then leaves Detroit because all of these really great people like go back into the spaces where they're organizing. And we were like, how do we keep some of that energy here? Then that evolved into like, hey, we're like doing this for a weekend where we're supporting people in safety. And because the conference generally happens at Wayne State's campus, we're asking campus police to not be involved in anything that happens. The first call that goes out is the conference safety team. We're doing this for a weekend at like night events and during the whole conference over the phone (laughs) in text messages, navigating people that have gone mistakenly to Canada back into Detroit. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's maybe the only place where you could easily make that wrong turn is Detroit. Very easily. (laughs) And and if you're not from here, you like you end up on a highway if you're not paying attention, and then you're in can't and you can't turn around. You can't can't turn around. You're there. No, they're like, hey, now you're you're committed. I'll just zoom in from Windsor. I don't know. <laughs> right. you know. Um, so that then like kind of developed into like, why can't we do this in Detroit? Why are we only doing this once a year during one weekend of the summer? Which seemed like such a big question because I think like geographically, like Detroit is really big. Thinking about like all the types of like harm that are happening across the city, it felt really, really big how can we possibly do this? And a lot of the questions were like, well, people need training. How do we train more people to be able to do this work? There are not enough people. The only thing that I would add is in the qualification of this work, very specifically, like Detroit Safety Team believes that this current system of policing and justice as it's built is doing exactly what it was designed to do, which is not to keep a large group of people safe. It's to maintain a social order and status quo. And when you talk to somebody about what it means to be safe, they start thinking about all these global things that contribute to their safety, right? The ability to keep a roof over their heads, their ability to know that their kids can like play and have green space. Um, They don't talk about policing. And so what DST does is we build up a system and an apparatus to take the place of what we know is here for stratification. Detroit safety team exists to be able to say, a lot of people talk about tearing stuff down and great, tear it down, abolish all of it. What's going to exist in its place? 
What systems can we build that center the needs of the community, that put more agency into the community members to define what safety looks like for them, for their block, for their neighborhood, for their city, and that remove a lot of those structures that equate safety and security as being the same thing, that equate safety and policing as being the same thing, and that really divorcing that from a concept that we know is racialized and that we know is is steeped in processes of oppression from day one. So I'm just going to put a pin in a couple of things that I want to make sure we talk about. I want to talk about that scale up, an idea of like moving from a weekend in one space to a lifetime across a city. Um, So that was one. And then, Dame, I know this is right in this kind of like breakdown of safety, security, the false dichotomies of that. Maybe you could. I'll start there. I'll start there. So I want to say I come into this like blazing but also hesitant because language and words of vocabulary is something that's really important to us and i think it i think there's value in like digging and deconstructing and finding new language but then also sometimes it can like get in the way of the point that folks try to make so i'm just like being careful in myself but you know we're even doing this show that is talking with all these projects about reimagining safety and so from my work organizing abolitionist campaigns and like the language in 2014, 2015 that really was emerging is like the police don't keep us safe. And so kept saying that and through that questioning and asking and canvassing, what do you need to be safe? What does safety mean to you? And the more and more I just looked at the definition of the word and the way in which it is deployed, you know, safety to me is the absence of risk, danger, or threat in how it's defined. And then security is the state of being safe. And so for me, like on a political philosophy kind of tip, it feels like that's a really important personal social dynamic in terms of like relationship. But it has felt like it is a false political ideal that has been propagandized to us, that there actually is no political reality where everyone is safe. Risk and harm is one just like a part of life. And that also we respond and have different relationships to that. And so some of the language that's like emerged in that is instead of using safety and security, wellness and protection as proactive words that are not about the absence or not about like a negative ideal, just the notion of safety. It has felt to me like a false promise that actually validates violent dominance because it can't happen. So therefore let's always invest in this type of dominance to give this like illusion of safety. And so I, I kind of offer that to y'all not to then like respond and like, let's get in, like super theoretical. I would love to hear from your experience and the work that y'all have done from working to the conference to then into the community. How does my thinking line up or not line up to the real experience in the work? Yeah, I, I would invite us to think about safety not being as a destination. So it's not mm-hmm. a static place. We're right. trying to get to this place. And then once we get there, we're done. We're good. We did all the things. <laughs> we, you know what I mean? Like that's good job. It. You are not safe. Go, go on and be safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> now you are safe. Live your life. Um, <laughs> like safety is a process. And it's an understanding of how we're working through this process in collaboration with those people in our environment. And what safety means for me, um, basically like in Southwest Detroit, What safety means for me is going to look different from what safety means for Curtis on the east side. Same city, two very different neighborhoods. And that's going to look different in Detroit from what it's going to look like in Chicago. I appreciate your point about this being like a 
falsehood almost, right? Like this idea that we are being told, oh, if you do these things, if you vote for these people, if you push this legislation, then we can get you to a point where everybody is safe. And that looks like having these individuals walk around in uniforms with guns and badges patrolling your neighborhood and keeping the bad people out, right? The idea that that is what safety is, I think is completely false and only serves to continue to prop up the social hierarchy and dynamic. What safety can be though, is it can be an understanding of alignment and process, alignment and goals, and not about the destination, but about how we all, how the four of us would talk through arriving at a point where we're all safe and recognizing that when that doesn't happen, if I don't feel safe in the space with the three of you, that there are measures, processes put in place where we can work through that. We can understand if there's been hurt or harm and we can start working towards what that can look like on the other side. Um, I will also say as I wrap up my statement that anything I say, whether it's eloquent or not, pales in comparison to the depth of knowledge of Curtis Renee uh, on, <laughs> on this topic in specific. Um, I love it. Y'all just keep introing each other. <laughs> I think one of the first things that's coming up for me is we're in the middle of a citywide fellowship here with Detroit Safety Team, and we were having a conversation about like, how we're engaging folks around disbarring the green light project here, which is a camera surveillance that is across Detroit. And a lot of folks that generally are like, I'm all about this green light. I'm all about this camera surveillance are also all about the mayor that I'm not for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But are generally like elderly folks that also are very heavily involved in church. Mm -hmm. We're talking about safety with everyone. It's like, how do we not be like, oh, well, this is just like wrong, but how do we first like acknowledge this space of like, everyone wants that feeling. I don't want to feel like I'm going to re-traumatize myself every time I walk out my door. And that is something that most people long for. And so how do we, acknowledge that feeling and that longing of wanting that as a community. And then from there, like, okay, some of these things are similar. Like you want to feel safe. I want to feel safe. What does that feel like for you? When you see it in your community, what does that look like for you? And like from that common space, I think that with police and surveillance and like all these things, when we're talking about redefining safety, it feels like we become completely disconnected from this word and like this act as a community, like how we're building this for ourselves as a community. And so some of that also is like, how are we reconnecting to how we're building this and assembling this in our community spaces and not just like handing it off to someone and saying like, Hey, you police officer, you mayor, you're now in charge of like creating this space that feels safe for everyone in this community, even though Detroit police don't even have to live in Detroit anymore. A lot of times they don't even know what that means for me because there's someone that lives like in Roseville and their whole family has lived in a suburb of Detroit, like their whole family has. And so what does it look like to reconnect to defining that for ourselves and reconnect to like creating that for ourselves? It's not like this final destination, which I feel like sometimes 
things can feel that way. Like, oh, I am no longer racist. <laughs> no longer. <laughs> I, I, that box is checked. So what are you talking about? But like this ongoing process, because there always are going to be contradictions. We're always going to be growing. There's always going to be conflict. The point of being safe is not to alleviate conflict, but to figure out when we get in those moments, how are we moving and navigating those moments so that we're not continuously like harming each other in conflict. So, yeah. You know, in this discussion of like safety as, as a process, I'm really thinking of collective trust building and like trust building from like this notion of truth. So like, are we having an agreed upon experience? Are we able to connect and what I hear that is valuable is I think a lot of my challenge of safety has been one, it like on a personal level can be like a stopgap of like, I don't feel safe. So now I have to stop. And then secondly, when I hear it in the like structural sense, it's usually about redistributing risk to more vulnerable people. Right. So like, you know, the cliche on the news, somebody gets hurt in a, in a well-resourced community and they say, that's not supposed to happen here. This is a safe community, right? Like, which then is explicitly saying that is supposed to happen somewhere, somewhere else. else. And so I, yeah. what I hear in this like process and that it's, it's never static is it is not about re- redistributing that risk to somewhere. It is actually about honestly addressing it. All right, Kiss, jump in there. No, and to that point, uh, in hearing you talk about that like communal self-determination work, I'm curious, what have you learned? How have those conversations been going as you're doing these trainings? What are the tools that, you know, have been most meaningful and useful for folks? What have what have come out of building this ecosystem of people rethinking and, and rediscussing and readdressing uh, harm and building these the safety as process? Yeah, if I could go back like half a second go and touch on kind of like bridging that previous conversation into this one for a sec. I think what what is inherent and something that we try to say a lot is we're not trying to set ourselves up or present ourselves as the experts, right? Mm-hmm. You don't come to Detroit Safety Team because we know everything about all, though Curtis is looking right now because I tend to have a, no, I know all, yeah, sure, I can do that. <laughs> Change out a carburetor. I don't even know where it is, but I can do it. Um, but You're like, but, no, my phone works in the shower. <laughs> I am works. competent. I, can, I have no problem <laughs> taking meetings everywhere. Um, but, but we're conduits. Right. So when you when you think about like, what does it mean to be in community and say, hey, we need to pull the centering of this authority right from the state. It shouldn't live with the mayor. It shouldn't live with James Craig. Thankfully, now he's out of office. We don't know who he is. He's a former chief of police for the city of Detroit, who's now running for Poor governor. He's, we don't like him. Just in general. I don't know the man. I'm sure he's a very nice person. And like. You know, or not? He might not be. Maybe not. Maybe not. That he actually isn't. <laughs> so maybe he's actually not. I don't know. But 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 as we as we work on like pulling the agency back into the communities, what it also inherently means is that there's responsibility then owned in those communities for folks to be able to work together and not towards a destination, but through that process. And I, I want to be really careful here with the point you made, Damon, earlier about well, that shouldn't that shouldn't happen in this neighborhood. That should happen somewhere else. Like there's a conversation that I think happens and that should be continuous and it's happening in inside of community, intra-community conversation, and then from community to community across the city as we continually think about what that safety, what that process of safety is and what that means. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to say on that tip. I do also know that you were asking a question around what we have learned in this process and as we've gone and, and trained. I've learned so much more about myself 
than I necessarily assumed that I would at the onset. Um, because the the beauty of and Curtis is largely responsible for the for the curriculum and training, but the beauty of the system that Curtis has designed is it continually asks all of you to ask questions. So I'm constantly being asked questions and I'm constantly interfacing with members of the community and, and in this space of cool, well, like does what made me feel safe last year make me feel safe today? And how can I continue in this process? And so if anything, from a global sense, it's taught me to be more self-reflective. It's helped reinforce for me as a cishet the difference between weakness and vulnerability and constantly trying to interrogate that line for myself and being able to do so in a space where I know there is um, openness to be able to, to walk through that process as, as myself. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned personally is like one, not being afraid to make mistakes. I do a lot of the support work for like processes, community accountability, and transformative in circles. And I think that's a big part in being an abolitionist, this acknowledgement of like, man, this fucking sucks and it's not working. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or it is working and we need to throw it away because it's doing what it's supposed to do and we don't want it doing that no more. Um, We need that toolkit. You know, we come out with these like hundred page toolkits, but like this this fucking sucks. This fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) A zine coming to you. How to to process through the (laughs) incongruencies of emotional abolitionist community building. I I love that. (laughs) Um, but like this, that acknowledgement and also acknowledgement that this is the system I've lived in for my whole life. Like this is what generationally my family has lived in different iterations of it, but it's, it's this. And so like when we're talking about redefining and reimagining the first step is like, oh, this fucking sucks. Then like this acknowledgement that there are parts of it that also live inside of me because this is what I've lived in. So that means we're going to make mistakes and like, oh, well, maybe this will work. And then as we use it, it's like, oh, it's still kind of like this a little bit. Or also that shit just didn't work. Experimenting. Right. (laughs) And like test that out. So I think that is like one of the biggest things, not being afraid to try something and not feeling like it needs to be perfect, but being like, this maybe will work and coming together with other folks and being like, hey, how can we assemble something that will maybe work? And also being honest and seeing like, oh, maybe this isn't working. What needs to be tweaked? Do we need to start over again? And as more and more people come into this conversation, I feel like we're getting closer to that space of like reimagining and like redefining like what this looks like in community spaces. So I feel like that's the biggest thing that I've learned personally. Can we dig in there? I I know like we we might not be able to be like hyper specific, but I would love to get into a narrative or a memory that was either challenging or felt like, you know, some sort of a, a breakthrough or a learning moment of that feeling of like, oh, this is pushing me towards recalibration or this is challenging an assumption or a generalization I was making about this work. Is it is there something in the project that like exemplifies what you were just sharing? Um, the whole pandemic. We started talking about time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We completely back to the drawing board uh, <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, just want to acknowledge that. Yes. Um, when we first 
started, we started off with doing like a citywide training and it was really short and compact. And then we offered like some space for folks to do some like shadowing in different areas that we like support community members in. So we support community members in like events and like navigating harm and conflicts um, and then like workshops and trainings. And so we give folks space to like shadow in that. So after that two years, I like talked to this small group of people and was like, how did that go? How do you feel about that? <laughs> and some of like what I was hearing was like, hey, we would like to like delve deeper and it not just be 16 hours of training. John and I started thinking about this, like, okay, well, how can this happen? And also like initially we wanted it to be like very hyper local training. So like maybe like a three to four black radius community has like a safety team that we've trained, which is all up in people's faces in closed doors with no mask. And so we were like, okay, so we can't do that. Um, <laughs> during pandemic also like, uh, I don't know. I didn't leave my house for like a whole year, like mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. Talk about reimagining safety. <laughs> right. And so some of that feedback that we were getting from folks that participated in this program and paired with the pandemic, we want to be able to like offer tools that we have and like acknowledging what John said earlier, like when we're also not the experts on this. Like we just have these tools. We want to like share them with you. And how can we also like acknowledge that actually people have been doing some of this work in their communities for a really long time. And it's not labeled abolition safety, or it's just like, this is how we have to navigate in our spaces to be able to live right next door to each other. So like, how can you bring some of those tools and acknowledge like you've been also like doing some of this work already? How do we like merge these things together? And this year we're doing a two-year program with like six or seven months of intensive training and 20 hours of shadowing and then like some space for folks to like create a project or create something with each other. We're throwing that up on the wall again. And then at the end of this, we'll talk to people and be like, so how did that feel? And see if at some point we can move to this hyper-local idea that we once had, or are we still like creating hybrids of these ideas or what needs to be different and being really humble. And if people are like, actually that fucking sucks. You're like, all right, add it to the zine. Let's keep right, it. Right. That also didn't work. So, but like being really, being able to hear that and like hear those things and not feeling like, oh no, this needs to work and hold on to something so tightly and being afraid that something is going to fail because of the work that has gone into it. So I think like the evolving of like our training, it's definitely started in a place and in, in a very different place um, this year. Yeah. I just want to pu- pull out like a, a learning or a distill a, a lesson I'm hearing from, from what y'all are saying. It, I'm hearing this like re-emphasis of like collective evaluation as like the, the I'm trying to stop being so meat-based in my thing. Of the meat of the conversation, I'll say like the meal of the, the main course of the meal. The, uh, the protein the protein. The Sometimes broccoli is the main course though. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. So I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> I, I usually say the meat of the conversation. Broccoli but, does have protein. Uh-oh. 
You're not an expert, John. (laughs) 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 But but yeah, this this notion of like collective evaluation, not as just like some afterthought or, you know, kind of just like a step, but like the the again, the main course of what the process is. Because really, if we compare to, you know, our opposition or we compare to the carceral state or police, the truth is we think the things they do the most as abolitionists is like arrest people and use physical force. The thing they actually do the most is keep record. Like that's at the front end of what policing is. It is poorly filled out paperwork and data collection. And so they have so much information, so many patterns, such an understanding of behavior that is then like, you know, done with C minus sloppy penciled handwriting on these like pages that then get lost and don't get filed or, you know, get hidden from FOIA requests. Um, But this notion of, I think, John, you said like shifting or redistributing that agency back into the community of all we really need to do is like evaluate the way in which human interactions are happening in order to build systems of protection and response. Yeah. And this is why you see, um, I don't know if y'all in Chicago are familiar, but we just went through a charter revision process over this last couple of years. So every 13 years, I think the city of Detroit's charter has to be revised. Right. And that's just stated as part of the process of living in the city of Detroit and working and living underneath this charter. And so if you think about the charter as the constitution of the city, then every 13 years you're being asked to craft a new bill of rights. Yeah. And so this process went on for a couple of years and, you know, charter commissioners were elected by Detroit residents those commissioners set about a process to you know, collect all these different recommendations for what should the new charter say, how should it be revised. Then that was all packaged up and put up for a vote. And I'm truncating a lot of the story, but a vote that the mayor, the governor of the state of Michigan, and all these other people came out and said, don't actually vote for these policies. So the thing that we're supposed to do every 13 years prescribed by the state, the thing that like we've taken the last two and a half years to enact, the thing that is now put up on as a piece of legislation so that you all, the city of Detroit decided that you wanted, we're actually going to tell you to vote against and that we're better off with the current city charter as it's comprised, because a huge chunk of what was in that, it was called Proposal P, the huge chunk of what was in Proposal P was that redistribution. If only Push and P had come out in time for this campaign. <laughs> like, I just feel like the promo opportunity would have been, <laughs> been, been so different. But but it's this conversation about participatory budgeting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what does it look like for the residents of the city to also have a say in how the money is being spent? That was a huge thing people were pushing back against. The redistribution of that budget line item from the from the Detroit Police Department that saw in a four-year span its budget increase by about $30 million. When you looked at a correlative department in the city's department for civil rights and uh, protections, which is a department that's supposed to be able to let me, as a resident of the city, walk into that office and say, hey, this cop over here did X, Y, and Z. That department saw their budget decrease by $10 million. Right. And already you're talking about departments that had budgeted uh, Detroit police was, I think, 300 million. And that department for like civil rights and protection was 10 million. So you're not talking about incremental differences when you start pushing back on those systems, when you start trying to affect where that power lies and removing that power from the state and recentering that power in the neighborhoods and in the communities, then you're going to see that type of pushback globally. As long as you can keep on fear-mongering, as long as you can go back to what Curtis mentioned earlier in encouraging certain Detroit residents 
to be fearful and to like programs like Project Greenlight, then you're asking them to accept that false narrative. Mm. You know, Dame, to what you were referring to earlier, this like self-reflection communal work of doing that definition and then the state kind of acting as an intervener and that it's just baseline so interesting to hear that that's built actually into the infrastructure of the state like that idea of a charter revision it sounds so cool fascinating (laughs) yeah and and it seems like one of those points of like we talk a lot about like how do you confront people in their contradictions and so like if they just said this is what it is you can't be like, oh, you're doing one thing and saying another. But to say, like, we have this democratic process. But don't support it. <laughs> exactly. There's a there's a point of challenge there. Maybe I guess the question is, like, what lessons do y'all learn from that? And then starting to build these other processes around, you know, three to four block radiuses and this type of work of knowing that, like, there is that state potential to to subvert has that changed how you approach that work at all? Or is that just like par for the course? Cause you know, the state does what the state does. I think it's a both. And I mean, I think in some ways it's par for the course that we weren't surprised that they put out. When I say they put resources into this, they had this proposal P is a problem. This ad was running on Hulu. I'm watching ESPN and this thing is popping up. Like it's all over the place. And what that showed us was the amount of, financial resources they're willing to commit to a maintenance of the status quo. So I think on one side, I don't know that we were surprised. I wasn't at least by the dissent, but I think it definitely shifts strategy and maybe if not strategy tactic, like if that is still our goal, then how are we shifting our tactics to be able to arrive at the same place eventually? And some of that, I think, I know I'm personally, I'm still negotiating because that's a, that was a that was a bad beat, you know. That was one that like we worked on for a while, and to see all of that effort in opposition, I'm sure we've all been there. But it's sometimes hard to to deal with, and you you know you want to like dust yourself off and get back up and say, all right, let's dive into this again. Yeah, proposals are always like mad confusing <laughs> in any election. Like I could be like very knowledgeable about a proposal and walk in and read the proposal on the ballot and be confused as to if I should be checking yes or no. Does this sound like exactly what I agree with or the opposite right. of what I agree with? Right, right. Like, like, we'll just, wait, do I need to bring my phone in here? Like, I need a dictionary? Like <laughs> The Freedom, Fairness, and Justice Act, but it's like <laughs> bringing incarceration up. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And so like this acknowledgement that the system that we're fighting against also like is in control of like the wording of like this proposal. Also efforts to like get out and vote. So like getting our numbers up as far as like who's going out to vote. And I have to say like, I'm usually very for voting locally, but I also have a lot of conflict around like politics and democracy, whatever democracy means. Those, those are double um, air quotes for the <laughs> Whatever that word means, then I was like a political science major in college. And I and I think it made it more like difficult for me. And also, I think having more boots on the ground. So how do we cover all of Detroit to have this conversation about a proposal like Proposal P? Whether it's like one, there's like all these town halls that are going on 
in all of these different sections of the city, as well as like groups that are doing some door knocking or standing out in front of grocery stores to have this conversation or at parks to have this conversation. Like, where can we be having this conversation where people are just going to already be and not just like, oh, come to this place or, you know, this is the time that we're going to do it. This acknowledgement that they had all this money to put behind their effort, we can match that in creativity and how we're having the conversation on a house to house, neighbor to neighbor at our kitchen table type of situation. And so how are we providing more opportunity across the city of Detroit to be able to have these conversations, acknowledging like we're talking about safety. It's like this long-term conversation that's not going to happen overnight, but some things like proposals on ballots need to happen in a year or like, you know, six months. So yeah. How do you meet the urgency of the state without getting wrapped up in it in a way that disrupts the long-term vision work? Yeah. that's a great point. So in, in considering for time, and we, we kind of have to, to start wrapping here, I have a little exercise that I want to do. Uh, but before I get into it, I just want to like commend y'all or, you know, just offer my like appreciation and affirmation for like, I am hearing and seeing and feeling like y'all have been in the street. Y'all have been like doing the work. And so one, just thank you. You know, it is invaluable and, you know, transformational. And so what I want to do here. It's kind of a little bit like a, a little fourth wall break for the listeners. I want to kind of like recap the story that I've heard. Like give like a, I try to be concise, a few sentence synopsis. And I would love for y'all just kind of in closing to like plug in any major gaps or holes that are like not present or that you would want people who are listening to like know about your work and about your story. Right. So both of you, you know, coming out of a lineage of movement work and, you know, transformative projects. Curtis, I'm hearing like you have like a deeper lineage and like shout out to Pops for really like being an OG in the game, coming out of being in this this hotbed that is Detroit that creates this mecca, you know, this allied media conference. And, you know, we are connected to AMP and we're one of those people that like have come in and got all the energy and then. Oh, this is great. Time to go home. (laughs) And got right back on the interstate with us. It was us. We we are the problem. (laughs) We are the energy Uh suck. Um, (laughs) and (laughs) And so out of this like specific work, right, of a need around this abolitionist space and the contradiction of it existing on a university. And like, we're not going to rely on the police resources to protect this space that is about many things, but one of the highest things is about creating a world without police. Um, And so in that, have been doing the work, have been in community, have like experienced pandemic, which has, you know, just altered global humanity and this project in many ways. But still in the midst of that, there is these pods or these locuses of like three to four folks that have a, a neighborhood radius that are engaging community and responding to needs. And in the midst of that, there was also this larger political push in reconstituting the city more or less through the charter of transformative policy and redistributive budgetary approaches and participatory democracy at large. And it sounded like there was a lot of energy and probably learning out of that, but then also, you know, in the technical sense, it was defeated or it, there was a counter slapdown investment that made it not a possibility in its iteration. And now y'all are taking those lessons to build more dialogue and discourse to do this collective evaluation. That is my my attempt at my active listening. <laughs> what I what I heard from the work in the project, I would love for y'all to kind of like in closing, what gaps are there important to fill or what, what else should people know about the work of the Detroit safety team? 
I think just repeating something I said earlier, like us not being afraid to make mistakes mm. and acknowledging like we're all in practice in the space of us not being experts as a whole, we are experts mm. and mm. like what we all bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that, um, you know, as much as Curtis and I, and then shout out to other members on our, on our staff and on our citywide team that do a lot of this work and support the work being done. Uh, like we're only really as effective as the network and the team of people that we work with. And we continue to learn so much from that interaction. So I would just encourage if I could do, if I could be a cheerleader for ourselves for a second, that if anybody is curious, they can go to redefinesafety.org if they want to learn how they can join the citywide team, how they can jump into some of these trainings. Um, and even if they might have missed the timeline to sign up for this current cohort to still try to figure out how they can hop into one of our trainings. Because as many people can get the training, look, if everybody ends up getting trained and we don't need to exist anymore, that's fine by me. Y'all got enough going on. Yeah. I, I know, right? Um, you got a business to run. Jesus. Taxes to file. Apparently, I'm the only one. See, now I have to file my taxes. I said it out loud. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I would just encourage folks to like, jump on and figure out how they can join in. Like, we're not the only ones to do this work. Um, and I don't want to set us up like we are the arbiters of. And, you know, just figure out how you can get plugged in and what this looks like for you and what this type of work looks like in, in your immediate family. And then as, as those circles broaden out, right, in your, in your household, in your community, um, on your block. Because that's the type of work that we're all trying to do. For residents in Detroit, if folks want to access the resource, how, how should or is the best way to go about getting in touch with y'all? Yeah, so they can hop onto our website, redefinesafety.org. If they need a service, there's a form. They click on that form, they fill it out, and our administrator will get in touch to be like, hey, what do you need? How can you schedule a meeting? It'll be with one of the two of us um, eventually so you can figure out what type of services you need. If you want to support, it's that same thing, redefinesafety.org backslash donate because this work is uh, is heavy. Um, and so sometimes we need that additional support and need there as well. Or you can just shoot us an email and it's info, I-N-F-O at redefinesafety.org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. True. We are. I forget about Instagram because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Disdainfully, we are on Instagram. <laughs> we have a Black Planet page that's out there too. And, hey. uh, GeoCities. Yeah. Thank you both so much um, and look forward to hopefully continuing to stay connected. And thank you again for the work you do. Thank, thank you all. Yeah. Thank you for this. We appreciate it. All right, whew. we got to break that down. We got to bring Eva back and let, let's do our peer review. Let's debrief. Let's process. Let's go through the notes. What, what, what are we learning? What are we thinking? What are we feeling coming out of this experiment talking with the Detroit safety team? Hoping I don't offend all my peers. Eva, you want to get in there? Yes. I came in the lab today explaining how I sort of came off this trip talking to a bunch of defund organizers across the country this past week. And this conversation really brings a lot of the points that, you know, interrupting criminalization is seeing across the board nationally. Um, this is such a moment in our abolitionist movement building. We had such an expansion of opportunities to grow consciousness, to grow base for collective action these past couple of years. And 
we, we worked our asses off these couple of years and people are tired and rightfully so. What's so nice about talking to Detroit safety team is also to show that this tiredness isn't a lack of enthusiasm. It's not a lack of momentum. It's just that, you know, sometimes you go hard and you need to regroup and rest. You know, I think Curtis asked at the top, how do we train more people to to do this work? There aren't enough people. I mean, that's a question, you know, so many of us had before a lot of these experiments started. And DST is such a good example of that how taking something, you know, from that seed of an idea at a conference for one weekend, you know, from one block, from one pod, and expanding that to really share skills among community and to build our meaning of safety together. Yeah. I, w- I want to dig in on that that last part there of the fact that it started from one weekend and probably a larger percentage than maybe other audiences are familiar with what the Allied Media Conference is. And we talked about it a little bit, but, you know, Daniel in many ways really put me on to this space as this like oasis of liberatory convening and, you know, every type of like creative medium is being engaged towards this like new world making. And it's not just like, let's talk about organizing. It's really about, we going to make a new world. And so it feels like, you know, euphoria and, and utopia to us as outsiders coming in, but with everything, there's contradiction, right? And so the fact, and we, as people who have connection to Allied Media Projects and AMC, we were kind of aware of these heightened tensions and didn't realize that this was like the seeding of the Detroit safety team and the fact that like, yeah, it's great for everybody in the country to be together at one place, but as people whose place this is, it actually drains a lot of our capacity to take care of our, our space and take care of our, our place. And so the fact that one, those type of tensions and contradictions were arising, it brought me back to when when Minneapolis was really kicking off, you know, there was this like dual thread of, you know, this is this, this global moment that's happening. But then also after a while, I started hearing from folks on the ground, like, hey, like, don't come here, right? <laughs> like, stay where you are, do your thing. And the fact that this work and then taking care of throughout the city or beyond the conference came from this recognition of like, we're putting all this energy for this moment, which does not allow us to fully invest into our people in the way that we want to. And like that, that came out of this. Yeah. And like you said, as the people have gotten to experience that space and that conference, it is a really remarkable space. I really encourage listeners to find ways to plug in. And what they're doing this year is actually really interesting. It's a hybrid model of in-person and online. And if you're not in Detroit or connected to Detroit, I think they're basically asking you, again, don't come. Like Engage with this in online. Find ways to do work in your space. Um, so that's another experiment that I'd love to talk more about on a future episode. But yeah, it was really cool to see the challenges and the potentials of coming out of a space where everyone is like, basically consenting to certain values and then how do you build that like collective consent moving that into you know different neighborhoods and different pockets of the city i also thought like in that consent building one of the things that was so interesting to me was their like self-evaluation work they like take a step back talk to the people that they're working with that they're building with and just really get very honest feedback and response on like what's working what's not and then they address it and they change how they do what they do which like feels so basic but is so, so rare. Like everyone says, of course, I welcome feedback and almost nobody welcomes feedback. All right. I'm going to really go back to how I was, what I was thinking about during high school science class. 
and talk about basketball. <laughs> all during all during science class, I was just wondering, like, do I have a game later? And like, am I gonna be able to score uh-huh. twenty four points? Um, I hear you. And the, the the clunky analogy that I'm feeling is like, you know, when you talk about great athletes, we we think about all of the razzle dazzle, but the best ones are best at footwork, and it really starts like being grounded. And that's what I think about when I hear this practice, this practice of, of evaluation. You know, we talk about abolition not being a destructive tendency, but one of creation and generation. And I think, you know, what it is generating is new information and information that other spaces and other institutions aren't even equipped to access or disseminate. And, or gather. Or gather, yeah. right? And I think all, you know, quality organizing or, or valuable organizing is producing and analyzing and reproducing information uh, in ways that we overlook. Because um, that's what it's all about. It's like learning how to be new humans and we need to to have data <laughs> to go, come back to the science to be able to evaluate. And so, yeah, I really appreciated how they emphasized that it was about creating the space for that communal agency to, to be able to evaluate what is going on in their circles and spheres. Dame, it reminds me of something that you said on some other podcast many moons ago. So much of what is needed in media work, and I think about this in our work, but I think it works for other organizing as well, is moving things from knowledge to information, right? So what are the things that people already know are needed in their community? What are the things that people are already doing to take care of each other that everyone knows? Like, oh yeah, you know, on Tuesdays we do food, distrib- you know, we give out food or my neighbor needed help jumping, jumpstarting their car so they could get to work. So they knew they could knock on my door and I would do that. And then how do you move that from the knowledge that people have into information that is then like able to be used to push toward political change? And to that point, you know, I believe very strongly that the abolitionist movement is a revolutionary struggle. And so when you're talking about revolution, you're talking about like transforming society at a larger level. And usually we only think about social movements in terms of revolution. But I think some of the like, even if they weren't positive, some of the most (laughs) impactful shifts are are more structural. So like we think of the industrial revolution uh, as, you know changing a society in a way in which it could not be reversed. And I think right now we are in an information age, right? We are in the, we we're moved from an industrial age to an information age. And like, that is the importance of like how we imagined the factory floor, you know, that mid 20th century, like what the, what the idea of the factory was. Like, I think information is actually the like world changing infrastructure right now. And like, we need to not be passive about that or not just cede that space to government and corporations or state power at large. And like, you know, in the same way we need the union organizing, like, and we needed like a grassroots relationship to labor and capital. I think we need like a grassroots relationship to information to create new systems. And I have one thing that I think we can all kind of do to, to like close out. We're at like, kind of a unofficial midpoint or we're like at a, at a touchstone where we're, we're kind of evaluating um, and just had this rich conversation with Detroit safety team. And they are really aligned with what this podcast is talking about of like experimenting, redefining, challenging notions of safety. And so maybe after hearing this and all of our conversations, do we want to kind of like offer our understandings of how we're thinking about this concept of safety right now relative to, to the convo? Sure, but you got to go first. I got to go. F- I was so ready to go last. I thought, <laughs> I thought the asking. Fine, you can go last. I can't go first, fine, but I feel. Fine, I feel. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, I mean, one thing Detroit Safety Team said this like safety as process. I really mm-hmm, liked, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and the difference in different spaces, because I think that takes away some of the like ideological fight of it. And the truth is, is like 
because people have different you know political ideologies like if we have people define safety for themselves in different communities like it's going to get really messy and people are going to define it as things that we don't agree with and so i don't know exactly what we do with that like that's where the political transformation work goes in but i don't know i just i i could see this is more specifically about this episode i could see curtis's like hesitation with like capital d democracy in this moment as like we just need everyone to decide for themselves in their community like some of the contradiction of that of like well in the state we're in a lot of people will choose punitive responses so that kind of complicates my thinking i think in a good way of this type of work is important because without that if you give people the illusion of choice <laughs> between what they've always known and something that they don't trust or understand they're going to choose the thing that they've always known even if it's a bad choice so that's not a definition but it's something that jumped out to me and has been like emerging through these conversations is like the way you get to a better future is by getting more people to be in practice so that they can learn for themselves and have these moments of transformation it's not going to come from pamphlets though pamphlets shout out to a pamphlet okay thanks yeah i was gonna say <laughs> shout out to pamphlets <laughs> that was a direct shot at eva yeah <laughs> i mean i love that i you know i'm gonna be squirrely because i didn't i didn't study for this exam although maybe i've been studying for this exam my whole life i don't know it's a little bit cheating, but I'm going to say what safety is not, right? That's a great place for people to start. You know, for me, my my journey into transformative justice, into abolition was recognizing that safety is not putting people in cages, that we cannot punish others to create safety for ourselves. That's a, a pretty simple thing, but, you know, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people out there. And so on the flip side of that, you know, what is safety? Again, I'm going to be squirrely, but say like safety is when, you know, we have equitable opportunities to be healthy, to experience joy, to have opportunities in our communities. I think that this is really at the bottom of what we as abolitionists are trying to build is a world in which, you know, we are not free from harm from each other, but how do we work towards a place where harm is, is prevented, where harm is minimized, um, and when there is harm, that we move forward together to, you know, address violence, address conflict, um, address, you know, insecurity in a way that moves, you know, not just one class or one person forward, but, you know, all of us together. I really appreciate that. And, you know, those two things resonate, right? Like, how do we move past these abstractions towards, like, one, addressing the harm, and Kiss, your, your takeaway definitely really resonated with me as well of like, even though I didn't answer the question. No, no. Of, of the, t- the takeaway of, of your learning of like redefining safety as a process as opposed to a, a state of existence or an outcome. But I kind of want to like be a little bit more coherent in like how I've struggled with safety because I, I, I didn't want to like subvert that, you know, what, what they were naming or their work like too much with like ideological musings. But like, you know, kind of like I named the, the, the interrogation started with the, the campaign line, more or less, that police don't keep us safe. Uh, and so it, it, the, the word, you know, for the last eight years has been like at the forefront of so much of the work. Um, and so I named like these kind of like cliche mainstream ways of like the way in which we talk about safe neighborhoods or you'll talk about a safe school, which then is differentiating and redistributing risk and harm and violence to marginalized and oppressed people is is usually what I hear from that. Uh, but then also I want to talk about the way in which 
I feel movement internalized the safety fallacy and and, and showed up. Um, and, it, and it goes again to this like one of my old idioms is like we have to be able to accept that which even we can't tolerate. And so to me, it's like an, an acceptance of our reality. Um, so there were some times in movement space. I, I remember once distinctly the day that the Laquan McDonald video was released and this like mass emergent direct action turning towards like rebellious activity was like being stewarded by, by our ecosystem, right? And it got to a point where like it went from a march and protest to the police are now a- attacking and targeting and arresting organizers violently. And you know, a person that 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 I that I rock with like was like yelling at people at a really heightened state and like just saying, I'm trying to keep people safe and was showing up in a way that was actually like counter to the the type of like response or, or or grounded or poised that we need and just like the realization of we are not safe right now right like it, it didn't come from like a, a, a theoretical thing it came from someone saying it in real time and like looking around and saying like this is not true and like that ideal is not possible right now but there is so much that we can do like right we can protect ourselves we can readjust we can strategize we can end this and disperse and leave right but like trying to control this situation and remove all of the risk that is present, particularly in that situation where we chose to be there. Um, it felt like a conundrum that we were in. And then in the months after that, I started seeing like in actual meeting space, uh, the language of safety be used to subvert principled struggle. So in times where there was like generative conflict or difficult conflict <laughs> that we might not have been able to generate much out of, but there was structural and political importance. I saw folks, and particularly when it's folks in power, say, I don't feel safe right now. And the the dialogue stopped, the, the, the struggle stopped. That was then the end of the really important tension that we needed to be working through. And I just, I saw that that was happening kind of in succession a few, like within a few weeks, really important conversations were diverted under this guise of this isn't safe. Um, and so as that was happening at the same time, back to the structure, recognizing we're doing weekly actions or monthly actions on our police headquarters here in Chicago. And the sign doesn't say the Chicago police headquarters. It says the public safety headquarters. You know, our military is not investing in billions of dollars of occupying the planet. It's not called the colonial office. It's not called the, you know, the military department. It's called national security is, is the language under which we we invest into violence and invest into disrupting human connection. And I think actually creating unsafety. Um, and so I like, as all of that was swirling in my like young organizer activist brain, then looking at the definition of the absence of threat or risk, it, it just felt clear to me that I, I think we can maybe even move further if we stop investing into that ideal. Um, and so the way that they're redefining it and talking about it as process is much is very much in alignment with what I'm saying. It's still using the word. And I think I try very hard to not be like a word stickler, even though I'm a word nerd. <laughs> you know, there's there's That's a fine, a fine line, line between uh-huh. between nerd and stickler. <laughs> um, and so I, I you there know, he goes I, again. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I get a little uh, you know sensitive now. I think it was easier at first to be like, ah, stop saying safety or being like annoyed at us using the word and making it more grounded. But the the reflection kind of came true to me when the university space became really contested. And that like my memory is like 2018 or maybe even 2017, where I started seeing a lot of action on campuses, on like university presidents 
around sexual violence policies, around diversity issues, around worker justice on campuses. And then folks would use direct actions on established institutional power. And then the way that they would subvert engaging with the students' demands was saying, your direct action makes me and my staff not feel safe. And so therefore your demands are invalid. You know, and like that's obviously not said in good faith, but if we uphold in our own spaces that like we have to have this absence of risk instead of creating structures to protect from harm or to when it happens, address it and move through it and collectively evaluate. I I feel like we move actually away from health and health is a thing that you can measure, right? Like wellness is a thing that you can measure. Protection is something you can actually do, right? Like you can lock a door, right? You can close a window with the understanding that even those protections can still be subverted and that there's always a responsive orientation to the world that we have to have. So That feels like a lot, but (laughs) I just wanted to say that, like, I I think actually part of how we get to a world without police and prisons is people on a collective political level not expecting safety. That's like a, a relational social thing. And so that's why I love it as a process. Like with your pod of three to four people, with your 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 four block radius you can then have feeling comfortable or not feeling danger. Uh, But particularly in a a, a society dominated by racial capitalism, carceral militarism, and cis-heteropatriarchy, right? Like, we live in violence. And so, like, accepting and responding to that reality and creating new ones as opposed to, I can't engage the world unless I'm safe has been a thing that I have. And my last caveat is, I say that with a privileged body, right? And so, like, I I don't want to discount the, the real, like, risk and danger that people have to deal with that I do not on a daily basis. And I'm not trying to say that like the notion of safety internally or on your body is not a real thing. So that's that. (laughs) I think it's it's another rule, six episodes deep, that we have to bring Miriam into it. Sorry, Miriam. (laughs) It's just true. But Miriam Kaba at this conference I was at said something that, you know, of course, just breaks it right on down, um, which is that Black feminists have taught us that safety isn't a thing. It's a social relation. That was such a better way to say all that shit I was trying to say. From, from, an, you, from an editing standpoint, <laughs> Jeez, that's Louise, really helpful. There it is. That's, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I mean, you said it You said it beautifully. It's just that she tweets it, you know? Ah, uh, got you. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. it's, uh-huh. it's that uh, that 280 character limit. Her, her brain is really trained to like get that retweetable. Concision. Yeah, yeah. Look, Miriam, when Miriam <laughs> says keep it moving, she means it. We don't, we, <laughs> we don't got time to lollygag around. That's why she breaks it down for us. Yeah. Yeah, stop with the paragraphs. <laughs> speaking speaking of keeping it moving, I think we should get on out of here. Yes. But before we do, we want to invite you to chime in on this peer review. What's jumping out from these conversations? What have you taken from our conversation with the Detroit safety team? Hit us up, millionexperiments at gmail.com, as well as on our socials with your thoughts, with what's standing out to you from these conversations. Uh, Eva, where can they get in touch with the Million Experiments team? As always, you can go to millionexperiments.com or find us on social at Interrupt Crim. We are at Ergo Radio, A-I-R-G-O Radio everywhere. Um, You can subscribe to our other podcast, Ergo, A-I-R-G-O, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you rate, subscribe, review One Million Experiments. Share it with a friend, share it with a new comrade, share it with your old science teacher. (laughs) You know, just get everyone in the mix. And we'll be back next month getting back in the lab with another experiment reshaping our world. 
Much love to the people. Peace.